Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time with family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of The Revealing uh, and, uh, uh, for, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. So good evening. Good evening. Hey, okay, yeah, there's some people out there uh, in, in, in the church house. Uh, so um, if you have your notes, uh, we're going to jump right in. Um, I am super excited uh, because this evening marks the very last of our sessions as far as our prep work is concerned, as far as laying the groundwork for our study of church history. We are, I think this is, this is session 12. Uh, if, you, if you're paying attention, uh, you may have noticed that last week's note said session 12. That was an error on my part. That should have said 11. This is 12, whatever that's worth. But uh, this marks uh, three months that we have been laying the groundwork, that we have been preparing, that we have been going back and, and um, comparing Scripture with Scripture and, and really just trying to get a bird's eye view of, of, of this, the things that we're going to see later on down the road so that when we see them, we don't have to stop then and, and figure some things out. Uh, we'll, we'll be there with, with, with an understanding, equipped, and, and able to discern those things. So uh, last week, um, we started a two-part little series, a little just a study on, um, on Satan's strategies and his patterns um, as they're outlined for us in the Word of God. And so this week we're going to continue that and conclude that. Um, we're going we're gonna to be all over this evening, uh, but I do want to just for the sake of review um, – just if you'll go back with me, I, I didn't put a lot of these verses up, up in the beginning of this uh, message this evening. I didn't put them up there just because I, I want us to just kind of collectively go through our, our, our Bible this evening and, and kind of just see, remember, pick up some things that we, we uh, learned last week and, and try to uh, take those with us into this week as we look at some of these things that, that uh, are in the Bible, but um, really are, are hidden. From a lot of Christians uh, uh, due to ignorance um, and due to really to um, Satan's craftiness, actually. So, so if you will, go with me uh, to the book of Revelation uh, just as way of review. Uh, last week, 
Uh, and I think I left just kind of a spot in your notes there or maybe a few things to kind of just give you some highlights. If you want to jot a few things down, you know, however you do that, it, it's, all, it's all good. But we said last week as we started this study that, you know, the book of Acts, right, has been our uh, foundation in this study uh, and will be. And then we said, and we really got into it last week, how the book of Revelation is our structure. And so the book of Revelation, from a prophetic standpoint, doctrinally speaking, gives us all of church history before it even happened in chapters 2 and 3. And so that's how we are able to not leave the Bible, but use the foundation, which is the apostles, the book of Acts. And where that leaves off uh, into Revelation chapters 2 and 3 from the first century all the way through the, the end of the church age and collectively see from the word of God and from a biblical standpoint what has been going on and what is yet to come. And, and so as we unpack the first three chapters of Revelation, um, so to speak, last week, uh, we made a point to look at chapter 1 and verse 10 and uh, verse 19 as well. And it's those two verses that we said really give us the um, our landmarks, our benchmarks uh, as to what's going on. Um, verse Chapter 1 and verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, John is writing, um, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And so it is from that standpoint uh, that, that he is told in verse 19 to write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And, and so we unpack what that meant from a uh, past, present, and future standpoint, the past being the church age, the present being that tribulation period, and then that, that future being that uh, millennial kingdom, uh, the second coming of Christ, reverse that order, by the way. And, and that's kind of the bird's eye, very, very uh, quick bird's eye view of the outline here. Uh, but then we said that, very important, we said that there are three um, applications of Scripture, right? We have our devotional, we have our historical, and then we have our uh, doctrinal, or our prophetic. And, and if you will, turn with me. And I took you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 last week to illustrate that. I'm going to take you real quick, show you a quick verse or two in John chapter 5, uh, where our Lord himself gives testament uh, to this, especially this doctrinal application. Look with me in John chapter 5 and verse 39. Uh-oh. Okay, we're good. He says in uh, 539 of the book of John, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, Jesus is saying. And these scriptures he's referring to uh, is not the King James Bible we're holding our hands tonight because it wasn't around then. Uh, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, and he says those OT scriptures, those testify of me. And then he says the same thing, or essentially the same thing in verse 46. Go a few verses down in John 5. For had ye believed Moses, Jesus said, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Amen. And so there are many things that we can see through the Old Testament scriptures where prophetically speaking, you can see, it's just one of the most beautiful things right. of the Old Testament, uh, uh, where the New Testament truths are, are, are uh, um, pictured or typified in the Old Testament. And having this lets us 
um, c- compare those things and see the and really it validates New Testament doctrine. And you get into these discrepancies of where people disagree on certain things. Is it a pre-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture? And, or is is it is it this or that or that? And all these different things. And and what's amazing is not only is the New Testament clear, but there's pictures of those things yeah, in the Old yeah, Testament. Amen, and it's, it's it's an amazing thing what our Lord has done. And so we said based on those three applications. Let's take that and apply it to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And so we're doing that, or we will be doing that. Um, and we saw in, so flip this back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Satan's strategy, uh, what he has been doing, kind of hit his MO, so to speak. And, and we looked in chapter 2, verse 9, and we said it was there that the end of verse 9 that Satan got a synagogue. Is what we talked about last week. Uh, there in verse 13 of chapter 2, uh, it says that Satan has a seat. And at the end or the latter part of verse 13 as well, it says he dwells there in that seat. And then in verse 24 of chapter 2, it says that it is from there that uh, his doctrine is being sent out or being propagated. Okay, And so as we begin to look at these things, we... We had that understanding, and then we uh, just took a look at history, both biblically and, um, I don't know, secular or, you know, just of history in general. And, and, and we made notes, and this will kind of um, close us up for our, our review, but we made note that there were really three specific, uh, not only three times where Satan was working in history, obviously, but there, there were three, like, major times where Satan was using Gentile nations. Uh, to uh, to do these things that we see here in Revelation chapter two, and uh, he, he was using Gentile nations to come against the the, the, the um, coming of Christ, the first coming, his second coming, but even before that, uh, he was using Gentile nations to come against God's will and God's word for His people of Israel, way before they even got into the promised land. Because remember, Satan was there. At that time when God was passing out smackdowns in Genesis 3.15 and punishments for the man and for the woman and for the – and he was making notes of things that are going on. And he heard the prophecy, and he noticed in Genesis 12 when God called a man named Abram out and called him in the first four verses of chapter 12 into a land that he will show them where his seed would be multiplied as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sands of the, of the shore – and Satan wasn't just taking a, a break during those times. And, and so he heard that promise. And, and he, he knew uh, in Genesis chapter 15 uh, where God said that it would be during a period of 400 years when they are in a land not their own, speaking of their bondage to Egypt, that God was going to be preparing them and calling them out. And again, during that time, the enemy wasn't taking a break. He wasn't just sitting back, uh, just chilling. Uh, Numbers 13, we talked about last week, talks about how Moses sent those 12, sent those 12 spies in. They came back with the report and said, man, we're like grasshoppers in their side. There's giants in the land. And if you were here for our study on Genesis chapter 6, uh, you were very familiar with that. But, but we said, okay, well, how, how did these, these fortress cities and these walls and these giants and all these things come to be and they're just there to obstruct Israel's progress they're there to come against God's people like who would be responsible for such a thing 
And then we discuss how uh, Satan continued to use uh, Gentile nations to prepare to come against uh, the first coming of Christ uh, in that intertestament period between Malachi and Matthew. Again, another 400 years uh, where um, we, we discuss how Daniel chapter 7, right? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he had a dream uh, for beasts. Um, and it represent, represented Gentile nations that were to come. Uh, and then Daniel 7, Daniel had a dream himself, and, and we saw the character of those nations. I mean, we unpacked all that, and uh, how, how specifically Rome and Greece were, were two key Gentile nations, Rome militarily and politically, Greece philosophically, uh, philosophically and um, Intellectually, I guess we could say, uh, were being used of Satan to come against God and his plan for his people. And, and if he's done it those last two times, man, at, before the second coming of Christ, you don't have to guess what he's doing. He, he's, he's running the same plays. He's doing the same thing. And, and so as I said, I think we're ready next week to begin our, our study of church history proper. Uh, Y'all probably would have been like, we were ready like two months ago, but um, I think we're really ready now. Um, but I want to spend one more session with you, really unpacking, um, revealing, letting God reveal the facade that, that Satan has, has so masterfully um, put up uh, for us. Uh, because when you study church history, when you read the church historians and, and do your research and, and all that, man, when you do that, it's almost as if Satan was never around in church history. Right. But when you read it, it's like just all of these things, like anything that has the name Jesus on it is it, it, called – it is of the Lord. It, it's good. Um, and if you're familiar with Galatians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 – uh, Paul is warning, man, there's another Jesus out there. There's another spirit out there. There's another gospel out there. And so when we look at church history without the lens of the word of God, as, as many do, we fall prey to, again, thinking that anything that just has the name Jesus slapped on it, that that's truly of God, that that's truly honoring the Lord. And, and, and man, it's not. All you have to do is flip on the TV and turn on TV in. And they throw Jesus' name around all over the place, and they're preaching, and they're doing this. But there is next to nothing on there right. that is truly, friend, honoring the word of God. Yeah. It's, it's not. And so we, we have to get this in our hearts and in our spheres. Because the group that church historians call heretical, you'll see that group through history that they call heretics, are the very people that believe the same things that we believe yeah, tonight. Right. And God has a remnant of people, and we don't say that boastfully uh, and, and, and proudly, but, um, man, I'm grateful yeah. to, to, to actually be one that, that is a Bible believer. Amen. Because Amen. you can say, you, someone can say that they are a Bible believer, but they truly, when it gets down to the bottom line, they don't have an authority. It, it, it's all based on man or it's based on their uh, opinion or, or their preference or whatever. And the reason, this is the key, the reason that man or that church history has not identified Satan in church history is because they can't find him. And they can't find him because they can't find him in the Bible. Right. 
And he, again, he has done a very skillful job of hiding, of masquerading himself to where if you go to any uh, uh, church, any, uh, maybe a Christian brother or sister you know, um, as a challenge and ask them to identify, and we'll unpack this in just a moment, just one of the three specific chapters in the Bible that where God reveals the workings and the dealings of Satan. Could they do it? Could, could, could we do it? I, I think a good bit of us probably could, at, at least one of them, I would think, because again, we've, we've been around some of these teachings, uh, but most cannot. And, and, and again, that's not, <laughs> you can't, it's, man, that's why we as the church today are so oblivious and so ill-equipped in dealing with false doctrine, in dealing with the attacks of the enemy. Um, and and we've, we, as the church, collectively tend to fall prey to every wind of doctrine just because it has Jesus on it. We can't do that. And so just like we said that there are three applications of Scripture, historical, devotional, and uh, doctrinal, um, it's in your notes like this. The Bible is also written to three different people groups, and that's not new information to you, I don't think. I think we all could identify that like that. But just so you know where to find that, don't, don't take your pastor's word for that. Don't take your one link leader's word for that. Know where to find that in the Bible. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, where Paul is instructing the believers in Corinth to give none offense. And he identifies so that none is collectively, what are the people groups that encompass? So none would be the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. And because of that, this is a critical key of Bible study. I didn't put blanks in your notes for this. You can do what you want with this. Uh, but we have to understand that all of the Bible that you are holding tonight is it, it, for us, man. But not all of it is written to us right. as one-third of the people group that make up the population. Okay? And so we have to get that in our spirits. And, and as I said, there are three... Uh, key chapters, and there may be some others, like I'm not disputing that, right? There's not only three, but man, there's three key ones. There's three major chapters in the Bible that describe Satan's dealings with each of those three people groups. And so when you begin to unpack this, you see that one of them is Revelation chapter 12. And that is where Satan is dealing with the Jews. Uh, the context of Revelation 12 is uh, the tribulation period, of course. And um, we'll unpack a little bit of that as we go. Um, the second one is Job chapter 41, uh, where, where Satan is dealing with Gentiles. And then that third one, I, I know that you know it, he's dealing with the church, but any thoughts on where that is? There it is. Second Corinthians chapter 11, where we find that he transforms himself into an angel of light. Okay? And so we're not going to unpack all these chapters tonight um, or in the next few weeks or whatever. But I do want to take one. I want to take that middle one. I want to go to Job chapter 41 with you this evening. And I want to uh, allow the Lord, if you would, in his grace and by his goodness to, to speak to us and to, by comparing scripture with scripture, by being led of his spirit, allow him to teach us a thing or two. 
because I think like Job, we, we can maybe think we have it we have it down, or we, we might have it all figured out and and begin to like question the Lord or whatnot. Um, but Job, so right before Psalms, the book of Psalms, there, chapter four. There we are. So I have a bunch of verses I'm gonna put up here this evening for you, but I'm not gonna put the Job ones up here because I want you to I want you to use your sword. Uh, but but these three chapters uh, make up a, a, a man a, a, a perfect composite, if you will, of our enemy. And if we can get these down and understand what the Lord is teaching us through these three chapters, man, um, you, you will be well on your way. So look at Job forty one. Uh, we're we're going to kind of jump around a little bit here, so so hang with me. But that's Job four, Robert, not forty one. <laughs> It was not even close, Chris. <laughs> Apparently, you can't count either. <laughs> it was in the Old Testament. I was at least in the right dispensation. Okay. <laughs> hmm. All right. Job 41, verse 1. So, man, God and Job are, like, wrestling, basically. And, and Job is just having such a hard time with what's going on. And, and, and God is, like, just putting him in his place. Okay. So, Job 41 and God is asking him all these the rhetorical questions, kind of, but like a lot of the answer is no, Lord, I can't. Okay? So verse one, he says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord, which thou lettest down? Pause. So um, before we go any further, and I want you to pretend, because you're in a privileged position this evening, because you've received teaching in the past on this chapter. And so I think many, if not all of us, are probably already quite familiar with Job 41 or, or Leviathan um, and, and all that. But I, I want you to look at this, this maybe not from that standpoint. I want you to look at this maybe from someone who is... Maybe just seeing this for the first time. Or if you can't do that, then, then maybe I could challenge you. Even, like I said before, even though you know what this is and what maybe is happening here, could you defend it biblically? Okay, Because it doesn't matter what Pastor Frank and Pastor Robert say. All right, That's not how God teaches us primarily. So, so forget what our pastors have told us. Forget what... You know, all that other stuff, just biblically, could we define what we say we believe tonight about Job 41? Okay, so be before we go that route, though, I want to go the route that most people take to understand what Leviathan, or any word or phrase or anything in the Bible that we don't really quite understand, we don't really quite grasp. And that is, let's go to the scholars. Let's go to the commentaries and the commentators. Okay. So we're going to go there because they have the PhDs and the ABCs and the XYZs, and, and, and they've given the time to study. And they, they you know, David's got to shaking his head. I'm glad you're doing that. But just, just go on the ride with me for a second, brother. We're going to pretend that, that that's where it's at. And so, again, you're looking at this from the standpoint of someone who doesn't know. Or could you defend this biblically? And, and again, I know Pastor Frank and I and maybe others have told you what others say about Job 41. But I want to show you, again, so you're not just taking his word or, or my word or, or just, you know, anyone's word for that. I want to show you 
what the answer from scholars is about Leviathan. Okay, so I have a few here. Um, the first one is Matthew Henry's commentary, a very well-known, um, somewhat older, but very well-known commentary. And I think I put that up here for us. The description here, given of the Leviathan, uh, a very large, strong, formidable fish or water animal. And he goes on to say that ideally is basically to put Job in his place. Okay, so it's a very large, strong, formidable fish. Okay, thank you. Matthew Henry. Okay, so write that down. Get that down. All right, so Mr. Henry, we have that. Uh, and then there's another commentary, um, John Gill's commentary. Not sure if you've ever heard of that or familiar with it. You, you can jot that down if you want to. Another fairly popular one. Uh, but, but John is over here saying uh, that whether by the, by the Leviathan is meant the whale which it was the most generally received notion, or the crocodile, and then he goes on to say, or a large fish of the whale kind with many teeth. So at least Mr. Gill admits that he doesn't exactly know, but it's got to be either a, a whale, which is the most generally received notion, or a crocodile, or some large fish of the whale kind with many teeth. So file that. And then there's another commentary, uh, the Adam Clark commentary. Um, you may or may not be familiar with that. Some of these I was before this, some of them I wasn't, so it's all good. If not, who cares? But again, Adam Clark is telling us that it's a species of whale. Um, but the description, at least he says this, the description suits no animal but the crocodile or alligator and it is not necessary to seek elsewhere. You need not seek elsewhere as to what this is other than one of these two conclusions. Because he is the authority. He has the letters behind his name. He has the commentary said, I don't. I'm just a common man who's trying to learn the word of God. Okay, so, so Matthew Henry... John Gill, Adam Clark, and then there's a, another commentary set called Kaufman's Commentary of the Bible. Uh, Dr. Kaufman was one of the leading authorities in the Church of Christ denomination. Uh, and he says, we have here the crowning description of a natural wonder, the Leviathan, parentheses, crocodile, close parentheses. And... That's what he says it is. That's it. Like, if there's no speculation. I mean, it is the crowning description of a crocodile. Now, he does go on and say, with an elaboration to which there is no parallel in the rest of the scriptures. Meaning, um, there's, not a, there's nowhere else in scripture where a more elaborate description is given. And to that, I would agree. Because this is the place. If you want to see how God sees Leviathan... This is the place to go. This is the most detailed description. Okay, but it, it, you really just need to go there if you're trying to brush up on your knowledge of crops, because that's what it is. And, and man, as a Bible believer, as a common man, okay, this is helping me because I, I don't know. I, I, I'm new to this. Uh, I, I, all these scholars are saying somewhat of the same thing. So okay. I'm, I kind of, I'm getting it, I think. But he goes on, Kaufman, he goes on, 
to say this, uh, I put a number two there, I think, on the next one, because he has a few comments on this. Uh, do I have a number two there? He says, once again, the general features of the picture point to an actual animal, in this case, the crocodile. Uh, then he goes on and says, there is a consensus of practically all, boys and girls, say this word with me, scholars on this. And as a new Christian, I am so relieved because all the scholars, man, they're, t they're telling me the same thing. Now, because you're equipped, you, you understand this thing of scholars in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this thing of scholars and scribes and Pharisees and councils in the Bible. Okay, but Coughlin is not done. Okay, so he's telling us, most scholars hold the view that it is the crocodile which is the scribe. Okay, now I'm ready. Thank you. Now I'm ready. Thank you. Okay. Of course, it must be admitted that there are many expressions here that a modern scientist would not use in describing a crocodile. But the book of Job is neither modern nor scientific, but ancient and poetic. So it doesn't really describe what you would think naturally as a crocodile, but you know, it's the book of Job. It's not modern, it's not scientific, it's more ancient, poetic, allegorical, symbolic, those types of words that scholars like to throw around. And I'll hit you with one more. Uh, the, the pulpit commentaries, okay? The pulpit commentaries. Uh, watch this. The best modern critics oh okay so we're getting the consensus of practically most scholars and we're getting the consensus of the best <laughs> the best y'all modern <laughs> critics okay Pam you're laughing at me don't this is this is for real okay they regard it as applied sometimes sometimes to a python or large serpent Oh, we're getting warmer, I think, right? We understand that. Okay, but just hang with me. Sometimes to a cetacean, a whale, or a grampus, you can Google that if you want to, and sometimes as hero to the crocodile. This last application, he says, this is a little caveat, is now almost universally accepted. Again, because it's universally accepted by scholars and critics and the like, then for poor Baptist people like us, it's generally accepted, okay? And so this is what the scholars are saying when it comes to uh, Leviathan. And man, these people, y'all, they've studied, they've given themselves to the Word of God, right? And they, they, they went to school and seminary, and, and they did all this stuff. And me, I'm just, I'm just a blue-collar worker. I'm just a businessman. I'm just, you know, I've been saved for a year. Like, what do I know? And I want you to see how subtle, I'm not, I'm, not I'm, I'm being silly, right? But I'm not like, I'm not pointing my gun at these people, okay? Though they are false teachers here, but there's something behind that that's going on. And really it's the facade of Leviathan. He, he, he's disguising himself here among the scholars. And you know, we're not saying that we're smarter than scholars. I for sure am not proposing that, but I'm just a guy with a Bible, right? We're just a church that, 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 that we are Bible believers. And if you, I will submit to you, if you are a Bible believer, you cannot come to these conclusions here. 
Okay, if you notice, none of these commentaries had an ounce of scripture in them to support them, to cross-reference, to compare scripture with scripture. Not one. Okay, so how did God say that he would reveal his truth to us? Okay, so it wasn't through commentaries? No. Uh, it, w it was it through um, uh, what your pastor says? Okay, I'm hearing a few more notes. Good. Was it through spiritual osmosis, where if you just hold this book up to your head long enough, it'll just seep in, and if you, if you pray hard enough? No, thank you for that. I was worried no one said no at that. Okay. No, no, no. It wasn't by scholars. It wasn't by critics. It wasn't by any of that. Okay? And, and we know it was by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Amen. All right? I know, yeah, I know you know that. So, so flip with me over. You're in Job, I think. Flip with, hold that. Flip with me to First um, Corinthians chapter two. Again, I know you know that, but I'm hoping that as we go to these places, they stick, and you can remember where this is found. Okay, again, forget what uh, don't, don't regurgitate it because you're told this or taught this. Know it. Okay, First Corinthians chapter two. I'm not going to read verses nine through thirteen to you, but I will read three verses: verse nine, verse ten, and verse thirteen. First Corinthians two nine. But as, is written, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Verse 10. But God hath revealed them, the things of verse 9. He hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom, all those commentaries, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's how it's done. Amen. That's how we are to, follow, to understand this book, not because we just put that together, but because God has prescribed that and said, this is the way you will learn of me. That's it. So I don't care what Gill, Henry, Clark, Kaufman, EIEIO say, and you don't care what I say. We collectively care what he says. And he says that this is his mind, so forget mine, forget all these guys. Let's go to his mind on the matter. And the best and easiest way to do that is to, by comparing Scripture, figure, man, what does Leviathan mean? I can barely even pronounce that. Just track the word. Right. Just wherever God drops that word in Scripture, just find it. And it's super easy these days because you just have to type it into your eSword or your whatever Bible program that you can freely download off the Internet, really. Okay. In older days, you, you would have a concordance, which I still have, right? You have a concordance, a thick book, and you would, you know, you have the, the Hebrew and the Greek, and okay, and, you know, five columns on each page, like, oh, so it got to be a lot, but, like, that's, man, or another resource, the treasury of scriptural knowledge is, is another great tool that, that you can track words and phrases and compare your scripture with scripture. Anyways, so what does God say about Leviathan? And, and he, he drops a few hints for us. Uh, the first one that we'll see is in Psalm chapter 74 and verse 14, where God says this. That, and this should be up here, yeah. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. Okay. So we're actually going to come back to Psalm 74, 14. But for right now, I just want us to see. Let's just take the nugget that God gave us. 
thou breakest the heads of Leviathan. So Leviathan has more than one head. Okay? Okay. According to what God says, he has at least two. All right? Okay. And another place we see this is Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 1, where he says, In that day... I was listening for dings in your brain. Did, you, did something go off in your head when I said that day? No. Okay, a couple people. So in that day, the day of the Lord, the prophetic application, in that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword, yeah, look at there, shall punish Leviathan, here's some more info, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And so here in Isaiah 27.1, God defines Leviathan as a serpent who is known as a dragon. That's, that's what he's doing here. That, that's what he told us. Okay. Now, if you haven't connected the dots yet, that's okay. Because I'm slow too. But, <laughs> but and if you really haven't connected the dots, I'm sorry, that was an insult. But the clincher is uh, Revelation chapter 12, friend. Because in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 3, I'm going to throw a few passages here at you. I think they're already in your notes. There appeared another wonder in heaven, verse 3 says, and behold, a great red dragon. We saw a dragon in Isaiah 27.1, having seven heads, multiple heads, and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Keep reading a few verses down in verses 7 through 9. And we see that there's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. So there's the dragon, right? And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, of course. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called... The devil and Satan was deceived with the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, friend, just here alone, this passage is about a dragon that has more than one head, as verse 3 just told us, that is referred to as a serpent, which God very plainly lets you know is the devil or Satan. That's your next, your next few blanks there. So that, that just popped up. Again, this passage, Revelation 12, we see a dragon that has more than one head that is referred to as a serpent that God plainly lets you know he is called the devil and Satan. Right now? Okay. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Where did he come up out of? The sea. Yeah. So, okay. First graders can get this. Okay, listen. If I, if I go into a first grade Sunday school class next week, and I say, okay, boys and girls, Gather around. Jimmy, come on, thank you. Pammy, quit hitting Billy over there. Okay, come on, come on. Good. 
How's everyone doing? Okay, now, today, we're going to talk about Leviathan. Can you say Leviathan? Leviathan. Ah, okay, yeah. So, listen. The Bible says Leviathan is a serpent or a dragon. And the Bible also says that the serpent and the dragon is Satan or the devil. Who is Leviathan, boys and girls? There is, raise your hand, Christopher. <laughs> there, there is not a nose-picking child in that room who will not raise their hand and say, Satan! Yet we have scholars and PhDs who say it's an aquatic animal or, or a, a mystic <laughs> or allegorical creature. Yet God calls him blasphemous out of the sea. And listen, remember that sea, where, where is the sea? Where is the deep? The second heaven. And so, when, and so what God is saying, and we're going to get back to Job 41 in just a moment. Man, when God goes fishing, he's going to catch them. Yep. Yeah. Job, you can't. Robert, you can't. That's what he's saying. And so listen, the Bible, the point is the Bible is not hard to understand, y'all. Right. But unfortunately, it's hard to believe. You believe in a dragon with seven heads? It's really just easy to believe in a whale or a crocodile. And listen, Satan's desire is to keep himself concealed. Okay, And man, he has done that. Because I didn't tell you what other people think just out of my own you know, assumptions. I showed you what people are saying. And again, what the scholars... And, and listen, he's done such a good job because most Christians, again, don't even know that Job 41 is descriptive of Satan. They don't. And I'm not, I'm not saying this pridefully because there was a time when I didn't. Right? But imagine going to a football game to play an opponent and not even have watched the film or have reviewed the opponent's plays. Imagine going to a, a debate, engaging in a debate with someone, not even knowing who you're debating or what the topic is. Imagine going to remodel a home and not knowing where it is, what you're working on, or having any tools necessary to get the job done. Like, that is the equivalent of what most Christians are like today when it comes to Satan in the Bible. That's what's going on. And again, if we can't find him in the Bible, what makes us think we're going to find him in church history? We're not. Without, oh, excuse me, uh, Job 41, as I said a second ago, is a detailed description of, how sa of Satan as God reveals him. He is showing us how he sees him. Okay? And you're not going to see ponytail, pitchfork, horns, none of that stuff in here. And without Job 41, we would not see him like this. Because as 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen teaches us, man, he transforms himself into an angel of light. So, he's got Jesus on his name tag. He's working down there and Things he's doing are good, man. They look spiritual. That must be Jesus. Look how beautiful that is. Look how cool that is. So, Job 41. I told you we'd go there and we're there. We'd go by one verse. Uh, we're going to just read a few here. Uh, look at verse 13. Okay, we're going to be skipping around this chapter. 
Um, we'll read verse 13. Who can discover the face of his garment? The Lord asked. Or who can come to him with his double bridle? So who, who can discover the face of his garment? In other words, his garments have different faces, is what Job 41, 13 is saying. Like two-sided clothing, right? Guys, we got belts. We got reversible belts, right? It's black on one side, blue on the other. <laughs> I said blue. You should have heard brown. Okay. Uh, or it, it reminds me of um, uh, The Nutty Professor, right? Um, so where Eddie Murphy – do have a picture up there for that or no? Yeah. There they are. Yep. Okay. So, oh, there it is. Not there. There. Okay. So Eddie Murphy is playing the same character, right? And and he, I'm not supporting this movie and saying y'all should go watch it, but whatever. But I mean, look at that. And you, we all know what Eddie Murphy looks like. And and I, without knowing it, I could look at these five individuals, and maybe with the exception of of uh, the professor, I wouldn't know that was Eddie Murphy. I would not know that's all the same person. He's putting on different makeup, different costumes, different faces, different expressions, different voices. Uh, and and <laughs> Eddie Murphy, he does a great job in that movie, like just acting all those parts. Just like our enemy, man, he does a great job acting all the parts that need to be acted to pull it all together. And it, again, if we didn't know that was the same person, man, we'd be like, oh, that was great. But but when you when you know it, Oh, you see things in a different light. And then look at verse 14. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. In other words, you won't see him for the dragon that he is because he's behind closed doors. That's what Job is telling, or what God is saying is here. So uh, as I wanted to go into Job 41 with verses 13 and 14 on the forefront of our mind, and see what God reveals to us about Satan. So again, look at verse 1. We'll read 1, 2, and 3. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose? Or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Y'all, I don't know. If you've ever had a crocodile speak soft words to you and whisper to you, but I have not. But you know who does speak soft words to you? Genesis 3.1 tells us of a serpent that was more subtle. And you know what he did to the woman? He spoke to her. He spoke subtle, soft whispers and words to her that were enticing. And in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, Paul is afraid or fearful that by any means, this, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his craftiness, that their minds too would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that is what's going on even today. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. How are we beguiled, according to Colossians 2 and verse 4, with enticing words, with enticing words, with every wind of doctrine. Romans chapter 16 and verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words 
and fair speeches deceive. They deceive. Look at verse 4 in um, Job 41. We're going to be going back and forth here for a little bit. Uh, will he make a covenant with thee? Will thou take him for a servant forever? Okay, so just let's take the first part. Will he make a covenant with thee? Again, I don't think any of y'all have had a whale or a crocodile make a deal with you. But you know who will make a covenant? You know who will make a deal with Israel? Daniel 9, 27. And he, he shall confirm the covenant with many, that's the next verse, with many for one week. Speaking of the Antichrist. That man in whom Satan will dwell. Daniel eleven thirty two also speaks of one who against the covenant shall he corrupt. How? By flatteries. By flatteries. Look at the second part of uh, verse 4, Job 41. Will thou take him for a servant forever? Can you take Leviathan as a servant? No. No, Job. No, Robert. You can't. But you know who can? And you know who will? God will. Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loose for a little season. Go on to verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And he will be kept in there, and God will keep him as a servant, so to speak. Job 41, look at verse 5. Will thou play with him as with a bird? What do we do with birds when we give them as pets? We put them in a cage. Can you do that? No. But we just saw that God will. Verse 5 again. Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? You know what God will do for his maidens, for his virgin bride, for you and for me? He will bind him for his maidens. Verse 6, Job 41, shall the companions make a banquet of him? Can you, can you kill him and serve him up for dinner? No, you can't. I can't. But you know what's interesting? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6 says, says this, The woman, who is Israel, the woman fled into the wilderness where, the, where she hath a place prepared of God. So Israel is fleeing in the tribulation period uh, to the wilderness. God is protecting her. Watch this. That they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Okay. Who is the they? Or what is the they? It's not Israel. Because Israel is the woman. It's she. They should feed her. So we have that pronoun. Hang on to that they. Something is going to feed her in the wilderness, in the tribulation, 
for a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Look down in verse thirteen for of Revelation twelve. When the dragon saw, so so here's the exchange, here's the pursuits. All right, same context. When the dragon saw that that he was cast upon the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, which brought forth the man child, and the woman were given to uh, excuse me to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might. Fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, a year, two years, and a half a year from the face of the serpent. Okay? And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, where the dragon cast out of his which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I hope you get the picture. The dragon's after her. He's trying to flood her out. The earth opens up and helps her out. But somewhere in the wilderness, she receives um, uh, an oasis, if you will, rest, protection, and something is feeding her. Remember I told you earlier we were going to go back to Psalm 74. Look at this. Verses 13 and 14. Thou didst divide thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him who's him? Leviathan. Okay, good boy. Good girl. And gave us him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. What is going on here? According to Revelation 12, Israel is going to flee into the wilderness as they seek protection from the Antichrist. And that man whom Satan has indwelt in the tribulation period... He, he is going to come after them, and, and when Israel flees, God promises them in Psalm 74, verses 13 and 14, that he will break the heads of Leviathan in pieces and serve him up as a banquet to feed Israel. Just like God fed Israel in the wilderness with manna from heaven in Exodus 16, verses 14 through 15, look what it says there. And when they the dew, this is this is the children of Israel in the wilderness um, when they left Egypt. The dew that lay was gone up. Behold, upon the face of the wilderness, so that's where they are. There lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost. What is hoar frost? Snowy, frosty, hoary, white, on the ground, and this is the bread. Which, which he used to feed them, or which the Lord had given you to eat. And it's interesting that in Job 41, verses 31 and 32, it says that he maketh the deep to boil like a pot. Uh, Job 41, 31, 32. He maketh the deep to, to boil, because he's made, he's made a fire. He's a fire-breathing, smoke-exhaling beast. So anywhere he goes, it's boiling in that sea. And he says in verse 32, he maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. So man, God is going to cut one of those heads off Leviathan 
and he's going to sustain the people in the tribulation, the Jews in the tribulation in that wilderness with the head of Leviathan. Now, that sounds gross to me, but I think the way God prepares devil head is probably pretty good. And, and, and look, maybe, maybe you may look at Genesis chapters, or chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 a little differently now. Not, not that we're you know, outside the biblical, the, realm, the biblical realm here, but the Lord said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and go on and on, but enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise what? What's it? The seed, Christ. Shall bruise my head. Now that has multiple applications there from a doctrinal standpoint. We've talked about the cross and the second coming and, and, and all that. But even till the very end, y'all, God is still doing it. Look at Job 41 again, verse 7 and 8. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons and his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle, do no more. You try it once, and you're not going to want to try it again. Because you know what? Jude, verse 9, says that not even Michael, the archangel, would bring against him a railing accusation. He would say, the Lord rebuke thee. Ephesians, and that's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, tells us to put on the whole armor of God, y'all. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against Who? The wiles of the devil. Because it's not enough to go to the gym. It's not enough to, 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 to do anything of your own strength. It's not enough to get your Glock. It's not enough to make sure you have your, your, your alarm system set. It's not enough. No. And you need the armor of the Lord. Look at Job 41 verse 15. His scales are his pride. You know, it was because of his pride that he became the serpent. Skip down with me to verse 34. He beholdeth all the high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. You know, Ephesians 6, 12, speaking of high things, says that we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. And it was the high places where Matt, uh, Satan took Jesus up in, uh, over in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. He took him up into an exceedingly high mountain. In that latter part of verse 34, I'll read it one more time. Uh, he is a king over all the children of pride. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 uh, uh, about how we, in time past, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Uh, the very people whom G Jesus says in John 8, 44, uh, uh, that ye are of your father, the devil. He tells those Pharisees uh, that he is a liar and the father of it, John 8, 44. So uh, Job 41, verses 15 through 17, watch this. Uh, I'm skipping around, uh, I know, just watch. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a closed seal, one is so near to another. What's up? What's up? The scales. Okay. One. Remember, this is a serpent we're talking about here. One. One scale is so near to another that no air can come between them. 
Verse 17, they are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be, this is a very interesting word here, sundered. They cannot be separated. They cannot be penetrated. But by any human means can that not happen. But I hope you know that Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that we have a Bible that pierces even, even to the dividing asunder. The Bible you are holding in your hand tonight that is in your lap, hopefully on your person, it has the power and the authority to pierce those scales of Leviathan Amen. that you nor I can do. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 15. Uh, again, speaking of this, this word of God, uh, we see Jesus coming down on this white horse. Uh, his name is faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, gave him blood. And his name is called the word of God. And verse 15 says... Verse 15 says, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. It's the word of God. Look at verse 19, Job 41. I'm back there. Verse 19, watch this. Out of his mouth, speaking of Leviathan, go burning lamps and sparks of fire. God, I want you to get this picture, this, this entity, this beast that we're dealing with. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Verse 20, out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seeding pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Skip down to verse 27. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The strongest man-made materials we could use are the, 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 the weakest things that we would, we, we would think of. Verse 28, the arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughed at the shaking of a spear. Y'all, it is no wonder Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You cannot take carnal weapons to this war. But they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6.17 tells us that that sword again of the spirit is the word of God. And I'll take you back to Hebrews 4.12 because it's the word of God that is quick. It is living and it is powerful. So the question slash point is can you contend with Leviathan? No. No. But you know what we try to do every single day? Without this book, we try to contend with Leviathan. When we think we're too busy to get into that book, when we think that we can just get it next time, when we are just, man, I can't understand that stuff. Man, I'm just so busy. I'm so tired. I've got this and that. We are telling God, I can contend with Leviathan. I don't, I don't need that book. That's what we're saying to him. That's what, we're, that's what we're preaching with our lives. And, and do not tell me that you don't have time. At least be honest with me and tell me that you're not making the time. At least shoot straight. 
I, I'm just too busy. I'll use my own weapons in this life, in, in, my, in this warfare. Yeah, I, I know that he esteems iron as straw, but, man, I've just got so much going on. I've got so much going on. And this has just become another book to us. It's become another app on our phones to us. And honestly, we, if, that's, if it's true of us, I'm going to make this statement and I'm going to stand by it. And I'm going to put myself under subject, in subjection to it as well. If we are not in this book, and you may think this is legalistic at first, but that's not the spirit in which I'm delivering this. If we are not in this book every day, then we do not understand the power that this book is. Mm -hmm. If we are not in this book every day, then we do not understand the authority that this book holds. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, if we are not in this book every day, we don't care mm -hmm. the power and the authority that this book holds. Because if this book, this sharp sword that will come out of the Lord's mouth, can pierce Leviathan and sunder those scales, man, I need that. If this truly is everything that pertains to life and godliness, man, I need godliness in my life. I need Christ-likeness. Okay, I don't want to go a day without dinner. I don't want to, man... I and I'm so grateful I can drive down the street and go through any drive through I will make it happen. But, man, whether I feast on the word or not, whether I feed my soul or not, <laughs> I'm fat and drunk on, and lazy on the flesh. Too much to really care about this book. That every word is true. That every word is pure. And you know what? Some of us, some of us are going to, we're going to say amen in a few minutes. We're going to get up. We're going to talk to some friends. Socially distancing. We're going to do all that. And we're going to leave. We're going to go to bed. Get next morning. And we're going to be reading our Bibles. And we're going to be consistent for a couple days. And then we're just going to be like, eh. I kind of got over feeling guilty when Robert was yelling at me. And if Robert yelling at me is, is driving you, then you're going to just, who cares? And some of us are going to leave here with that completely unchanged. But then again, some of us won't. And when we'll leave here, we'll be like, man, Lord, God, I am, I am sorry that, that I have treated and esteemed your word like that. When the testimony of those that love you in this book and love this book said that they esteem the, these words more than their necessary food. Psalm 19, more than gold. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. His, his statutes and judgments are true and right. Man, in this day, we need something true and right. Because there's so much, there's so much on Netflix right now that can fill your mind 
and fill your heart with that which is wrong and unrighteous and filthy. Job 41, we'll end with this. Verse 9. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. <laughs> Who then is able to stand before me? God is saying. And then look at verse 33, the first part. Upon earth there is not his like. Listen, God is saying, there's no one else as fierce as him, but me. Yeah. You think you can't stand before him, and you're right, you can't? How dare you think you can stand before me? The one who, who originally created him. How dare you think such a thing? You know, I don't think we get that today. Because again, I, you know, I, I truly believe how we treat this book, y'all, is how we treat the Lord. And that is not some bibliology or, or bibliolatry, like, like idolatry of the Bible kind of a statement. That's not that. But we saw in Revelation 19, he is the word. This is his mind. It, it's, it's exalted Psalm 132 above his name, right? Man. If we want to get a gauge of our love relationship or our walk with the Lord, we need to look no further than our relationship with his book. And I'm not suggesting to you that just because we read every day and, and, and say our memory verses and all that stuff, that doesn't necessarily equate to a living, powerful, real, intimate relationship with Christ. But man, if we're doing so with, with the right heart, man, that's it. We're, we're going to get it. He's going to be real and active in our lives. And so, listen, though we may not get this sometimes in Laodicea, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther that he, he, he got this. He, he penned a song that we know, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm going to land it here. And, and just a few of the lyrics. Listen to this. They come right out of Job 41. I didn't put it up here. Just listen. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood, our mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. He obviously read Job 41. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. That's right out of the text. Did we in our own strength confide... Our striving would be losing. So if we confided in our own strength, man, we'd be lost. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, does ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, y'all. It is he. So what is the what is the takeaway here? As we go into church history. How do we need to look for Satan? If the scenery calls for military clothes, he's going to wear them. If the scenery calls for political clothes, he's going to put them on. If it calls for philosophical clothes, he's got that in his wardrobe. If it calls for religion, he's got a closet for that too. And so don't think 
just because it has Jesus on it. He transforms himself into an angel of light. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how you have revealed the things to us, Lord, that without it, we could not know. God, without this book, without you speaking, we would not even know you. We would not uh, know how to know you. We would know nothing of you, Lord. So what a treasure this book is, that it is the key to knowing the God of the universe. It's also the key of knowing the, the God of this world, Leviathan, that piercing serpent, that crooked serpent. So God, I pray that, that as, we, as we get ready to go into our study next week, Lord, that we would do so with our spiritual antennas up. But God, I pray that as we go through this week, that we would also, God, have our antennas up. That we would see things and think through things and, and understand things through the lens of this word, of this book, and not through religion, not through philosophy, not through our own ideas, not through culture, not through media. But to see even the things that are going on in, the, in our culture right now, in this society, the things that are branded as good, I don't know. And the things that are branded as evil, I don't know. God, give us eyes to see, to behold what our natural eyes cannot. Lord, I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, you guys have been awesome.